there has recently been a special outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon this congregation as several of our young people have accepted Jesus Christ in just the recent past. And I'm humbled by that, and I praise God for that. It is a proof that Jesus Christ is alive and well within this congregation. Dear people, that should strengthen your heart. That should strengthen your faith. There's something real here, and it's for the glory of God. Give him the glory for it. But that just, that just blesses my heart. Our labors are not in vain in the Lord. Lives are still being changed. The Spirit of God is still calling men and women to himself. And I praise God that there's a spirit of sensitivity in this group of believers. We refer to this service as our council meeting. It is called that perhaps because it is a time when we give our counsel, as it were. We share our heart, what God has done with us. We open ourselves up. We share our testimony of God working within us and our peace with God and our peace with our brothers and sisters and our desire for communion. Some churches refer to it as the preparatory service, preparing for communion. Some churches refer to it as the examination service. That is a very biblical term, by the way, because the scripture talks about the importance of examining ourselves. Now, it does not say to examine each other, but it says we ought to examine ourselves as we prepare for sharing in the Lord's Supper. For example, 2 Corinthians 13, 5, Examine yourselves, whether ye be in the faith. Prove your own selves. This is a, this is a time of taking personal inventory. It's looking deep within myself. Where am I at in my walk with the Lord? 1 Corinthians eleven twenty seven. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. You see the connection there between not only a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, but then also the connection between that person and the body of believers, the Lord's body, the collective group of believers. When he is not living in accordance with the scripture, when he is living unworthily, as it were, he is not only doing himself a grave disjustice, but he is also doing the body of believers a great ill as well. I invite you to 1 Corinthians chapter 5 for a text this morning. Our text will be verses 6 through 8. And we will read it in just a moment. I've entitled this message, The Seriousness of My Sin. The Seriousness of My Sin. And we're thinking this morning specifically about the effect that my sin has 
not only on my personal life, but on the lives of my brothers and sisters. And it is not my desire this morning to encourage a hypersensitivity in your spiritual life. Specifically in relation to how you deal with sin in your life. It's not my desire to to produce a hypersensitivity in that. But it is my desire to challenge you to carefully consider the choices that you make in life. Realizing that those choices affect not only you, not only your personal life and relationship with Jesus Christ, but they also affect your brothers and sisters around you. And they, they affect the spiritual health and the effectiveness of this congregation in particular. And along with this, I want to urge each of you, myself included, to live a life of complete openness and transparency. Being quick to acknowledge our sin. To confess our sin. And to have a passion for walking in the light in our relationship with Jesus Christ and with others. Now, as we think about the seriousness of sin in our lives, consider these illustrations of how one small part affects the whole. Think about rotten fruit or vegetables. You've heard it said before that one bad apple can spoil the whole basket. Perhaps you've experienced that, whether it's with your fruit or with your vegetables. That bad spot, that diseased fruit or vegetable, can then affect the rest that are close by. Think about, you fellows who enjoy mechanics, think about uh, a dirty carburetor. Whether it's in a small engine, whether it's in a, a big engine. But think of a carburetor, how that a carburetor is just a very, very small part of a large engine in a much larger vehicle. And yet, if that little part has a little bit of dirt in it, it will hamper that big powerful engine from running properly. It will keep that big powerful truck from doing what big powerful trucks like to do. I'm saying that's just a small part of a much larger whole. Think of infection in our bodies. Now, infection is a fairly normal thing, at least small infections. Throughout life, we deal with many small infections, not that unusual. And we deal with them. They need to be cleaned. And yet, small infections, if not dealt with, can lead to the loss of limb or life. Just a very small infection, if it's not dealt with, can continue to grow and become a life-threatening thing. Now think about yeast, and that brings us to our passage here this morning 
in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Think about yeast. You bakers understand yeast very well. I understand yeast a little bit from making donuts. But yeast is just a very small part of the whole. And yet yeast is so important in that process. So when I'm making donuts, I often start with a 28-pound batch, and I'll put 28 pounds of donut mix in the big, huge mixing bowl, and then I'll put 28 cups of water, and then I'll put 28 tablespoons of yeast. Okay, so you see the, the amounts keep getting smaller. Yeast is, is the least of these ingredients. And yet that yeast then permeates the whole batch of dough and makes it something wonderful. Makes for wonderful, scrumptious donuts. Donuts that taste good and look nice. That yeast goes throughout the whole, pervades that whole batch of dough. And yet it's such a small, seemingly insignificant thing at first glance. Let's look here at our text this morning. 1 Corinthians 5, verse 6. Apostle Paul writes to the church at Corinth, Your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? Purge out therefore the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened. For even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Therefore let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Let us notice the context here of this passage. The context is sexual immorality in the church at Corinth. And we see this in verse 1. Notice that Paul writes, It is reported commonly that there is fornication among you. That's the context of this passage. The Apostle Paul is dealing rather sharply here with sexual immorality in the church there at Corinth. And this is not a secret, he says. I'm not even there, he said. And yet I, it's reported commonly. I've heard of this, and not just once or twice, but people are talking about this, that in your church there's sexual immorality. And notice the despicable degree of this sin. He says, this is, the, this is fornication that it's not even so much named among the Gentiles. That one should have his father's wife. He makes it clear that not only was this sin forbidden by the Jewish law, but this was a big no-no even in the Gentiles' code of conduct. This was a no-no. And he goes on to say that what's even worse is there's a careless attitude about this. There's a nonchalant attitude about this despicable sin that is in your congregation. There's this known sin that is not only reported commonly, but it's, it's being allowed, it's being tolerated in your midst. 
And I don't know exactly what the people were saying there. I don't know what the congregation, how they were viewing this. However, maybe it was something like, yeah, we know this is not ideal, but we believe that God understands and God's grace abounds in situations like this. Maybe they were saying that. Yeah, we don't really like it, and yet God's grace abounds. And yet we know what the Apostle Paul had to say about that in another passage. In Romans chapter 6, he says, Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid! How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? And so, not only was this sin serious, but the lack of seriousness, but but the church lacked seriousness in dealing with it. And he says, and asks this question in verse 7. I'm sorry, verse 6. Know ye not? Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? Know ye not. He's he's implying that, dear people, this is somewhat of a no-brainer. You should know this. Now, leaven in the Bible is often, at least it often has a metaphorical meaning. For example, in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus said to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Now, that kind of got the disciples all all tied up in knots because they said, is it because we didn't bring our bread along for the day? We didn't bring our lunch. He's scolding us. No, but as you read through the passage, he makes it clear that he's talking about the doctrine, the doctrine of the Pharisees. And so... Oftentimes in scripture, we find leaven to have a metaphorical meaning. And so you could say, leaven, it's, it's whatever has the power to corrupt. Whether it's in doctrine, which there in Matthew 16, it's very clear. Also in Galatians chapter 5, the apostle Paul is talking about those who are preaching another gospel. Those who are pulling people away from the true gospel of Jesus Christ. And there he uses the same phrase. He says, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. He's referring to bad doctrine and the influence that has on the rest. And so leaven in the Bible could be whatever has the power of corrupting. Maybe it's doctrine. Maybe it's bad example. Maybe it's something else. But in this passage in particular, leaven is a picture of sin. And the application here is that a single sin that is indulged in or tolerated in the church will act like leaven, will act like yeast. It will pervade and corrupt the whole church unless it is removed. And the church at Corinth had a rather careless attitude about this serious issue. They were failing to see the connection that one small part has to the whole. Not only were they failing to see 
But they were being proud about the whole situation. They were arrogant about it. Verse 2, he says, you know that this is commonly reported. Everyone knows, and yet you're puffed up. You're arrogant about the matter, when instead you should be crying your eyes out over it. You should be going to great lengths to get this one out of your fellowship. And in verse 6 he says, your glorying or your boasting is not good. Why do you think they were proud? Why do you think they were arrogant about something so serious? Maybe, well, you know, tolerance was the name of the game in Corinth. Understand that. It was a, a city of, of much wickedness. Sexual immorality of all kinds abounded there. It was a city of tolerance. Sounds like modern day culture, does it not? And yet, perhaps they were proud. Perhaps they were arrogant because they were thinking, we're Christians. God's grace abounds. We're open-minded. We will accept you just as you are. Come just as you are. You hear that a lot today. Come just as you are. God's grace abounds. There is forgiveness, and yet there is, not, there is not the command to forsake the sin. There's just simply that God will forgive you. Just go with it. And so perhaps it was a, a matter of them being proud of their loving forbearance. We're a church that we take you just as you are and we love you just as you are. And the Apostle Paul says, do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Do you not understand that this sin has the potential to spoil the whole congregation? And then we have a command to cleanse. Verse 7. Purge out, therefore, the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump. To purge is to cleanse. It's to clean completely. And I want you to notice the urgency of this command. Uh, this was not a suggestion. The Apostle Paul did not write to the church at Corinth. It would probably be a good idea if you considered taking care of this. I would suggest you take care of this situation. No. In fact, as we read through the Bible, we don't find suggestions when dealing with sin. We find commands. And here's one of them. Purge out, therefore. It's urgent. You must purge it out. You must take care of this. And just in passing, we will note, and I won't read these verses, but prior to this, in verses 3, 4, 5, he makes it clear that this is not to be done simply through the authority of the church. This is not through administrative strength. This is to be done through the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's through his power. It's in his name that this is to be handled. And that makes a big difference. Purge out, therefore. And he's implying you. You must do this. You as a congregation, you as individuals must do this, must act on this. Reminds me of two other passages where the Apostle Paul talks about the importance of putting off and putting on. 
Ephesians chapter 4 is one of those. Colossians chapter 3 is another, where there is a command that we must put off the old man and then put on the new man. And the, uh, the, the uh, well, I can't think of the words exactly, but one has to come before the other, okay? You can't truly put on unless you first put off, okay? There's an order of importance, there it is, that is so foundational to the effectiveness of that. He says in verse 7, that ye may be a new lump as ye are leavened. I'm sorry, as ye are unleavened. What does he mean by that? Purge out the old leaven, that ye may be a new batch of dough, (laughs) as ye are unleavened. He's saying, listen, dear people, you must act according to who you really are. You are a believer. You are a Christian. You're a child of God. Act like it. Behave like it. As you are unleavened. Colossians 3 verse 1. If you then be risen with Christ, if that's who you are, seek those things which are above. And in 2 Corinthians 7 verse 1. The Apostle Paul writes that since God is our Heavenly Father, since we are His sons and daughters, then let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and of the Spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Now, move on yet to a comparison that we have. We find a comparison to the Old Testament Passover in these verses. This thing of unleavened bread, this thing of Christ, our Passover, being sacrificed for us. Just turn back quickly to Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12. And here is the account where the first Passover was being established and observed. So this was coming. This was the word of God coming through Moses and Aaron. And notice what we have here in Exodus 12, verse 8. And they shall eat the flesh in that night, roast with fire and unleavened bread, and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Verse 15. Seven days shall ye eat unleavened bread. Even the first day ye shall put away leaven out of your houses. Notice this. For whosoever eateth leavened bread from the first day until the seventh, that soul shall be cut off from Israel. Verse 19. Seven days shall there be no leaven found in your houses. For whosoever eateth that which is leavened, every, even that soul shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he be a stranger or born in the land. Do you see the emphasis there? On cleaning your house of all the leaven, of all the yeast. There should be, not only should you not eat leavened bread, but you should clean every bit of leaven out of your house. It's for a whole week-long period. And as I read about this, I find that the people took this command very seriously. I mean, it was a time for 
thoroughly cleaning your house. It was like it was like spring cleaning on steroids. I mean, where people they actually would, I mean, they would really go through their house, I mean, looking for any little bit of leaven. They would thoroughly cleanse that house, top to bottom, from leaven. Why did they take this command so seriously? Well, certainly, God had commanded it. That was serious enough. But also, dear people, their continued fellowship with the people of God depended on it. If they did not do that, it says they would be cut off from the body of believers, as it were, from the people of God. And so there was a command to do this or else. Sounds pretty clear, right? I wonder if it is that clear today. Does it sound that clear today? Do you take it that seriously today? As we consider this parallel, this concept of cleaning house, this concept of leavened bread and unleavened bread? Notice Christ's sacrifice for us back here in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And you can still hold on to Exodus 12. We'll be back there in just a second. But here in verse 7, the Apostle Paul writes, For even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. What's the significance of that? He says you need to purge out the old leaven, that you can be a new lump, a new batch of dough. You need to act according to who you really are in Jesus Christ. And then he says, for even Christ our Passover has been sacrificed for us. What is he saying? Do you remember how the Israelites were commanded to apply blood to the doorposts of their houses? You remember that? It's right back here in Exodus chapter 12. They were commanded to apply the blood to those doorposts. Now look here again in Exodus chapter 12, verse 13. What do we read? And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where ye are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. Verse 23. For the Lord will pass through to smite the Egyptians. And when he seeth the blood upon the lintel and on the two side posts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not suffer the destroyer to come in under your houses to smite you. Wow! That, that blood was the promise of protection for them. It protected them from the destroyer. And the scripture says, the promise was that when the Lord passes by that night, when he sees the blood applied to the doors, he will pass over. That house will be safe. The firstborn will not die in that home. And the Apostle Paul is saying, why do you, why do you allow unconfessed sin in your life? Why are you not dealing with known sin in your congregation? Christ died to save you from sin. Christ died to break the bonds of sin. Christ died so that you could have eternal life. 
and yet you're living in it. His blood was shed to save us from eternal death. And so, dear people, the Apostle Paul is saying, failing to seriously deal with known sin in our lives shows great disrespect to the great sacrifice that Jesus Christ made on my behalf. We are like the Hebrew writer says, we're doing despite to the spirit of grace when we don't deal with that. When we sort of look nonchalantly or carelessly at that sacrifice that was made for us. Let us note yet in verse 8, the call to clearness. I'm calling it the call to clearness. It is that call to sincerity and truth. Therefore, let us keep the feast. But not with old leaven. Not, not with the old man living and ruling within us. Not with known sin, unconfessed sin in our lives. Neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I say it's a call to clearness. Clearness is the state of being transparent. It's the state of being able to easily see through. Easily seen through. For example... I understand that the clearness of a diamond is one of the factors that's used to judge its quality. And so, the clearer a diamond is, the greater quality, the greater value it has. The clearer it is. We all enjoy beautiful, clear, crystal clear water. There's, there's a beauty about that. It's attractive. It has that wow factor. There's something beautiful about clearness. There's no surprises. What you see is what you get. You know, dear people, when it comes to our relationship with God and others, a spirit of clearness is so important. Let me repeat that. When it comes to our relationship with God and others, a spirit of clearness is so important. You see, a lack of complete openness leads to misunderstandings, to instability, to hesitancy to commit, to shallow relationships. But transparency... Clearness, openness fosters trust within us. And trust, dear people, is the foundation of any healthy relationship. And so the psalmist David said, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me. And lead me in the ways everlasting. He also said in another place, Judge me, O God, 
for I have walked in mine integrity. I have nothing to hide, dear God. I have a clear conscience. How about you? In your relationships with God, with others? Can you say, honey, here's my cell phone. Here's my tablet. Here's my computer. You can have them. You can check the history. You can look under my mattress, Dad and Mom. I don't care. I have nothing to hide. I have a clear conscience. Oh, there is power in clarity. There is power in clearness before God and others. You can look at people straight in the eyes. There's nothing to hide. And I say, that breeds trust. And trust is the foundation for any healthy relationship. In conclusion, I just want to challenge each one of us to carefully consider the choices that we make. Because the choices that you make not only affect your personal life and your relationship with God, but the choices that you make affect your brothers and sisters and the overall spiritual health and the testimony of this congregation. And I urge you to develop a passion for walking in the light. Because as we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we will have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, God's son, will continually cleanse us from all sin. Brothers and sisters, that is so beautiful. Can I just gently make a request yet? If there is known sin in your life this morning, if there is something between you and God that you know and yet you have not dealt with, then please don't stand up and act like everything is fine. For the sake of your soul, for the sake of the brotherhood, for the glory of God, speak with sincerity and truth. Deal with it today. Deal with it tomorrow. Make your wrongs right. And then come and may we join together in the Lord's Supper in sincerity and truth. And may God be glorified in all things. The Lord bless you.